0: Um, week three of our sermon series called Jesus for President. And remember, what we're doing in this uncomfortable yet, I think, necessary series is delving into a couple of essential things that as Christians, I think we all need to be wrestling with before we make our way to the voting booth this next week. So in week one, what we discovered while making sense of God's kingdom is that whether we like it or not or are comfortable with it or not, Jesus was political Which ultimately means that that we are being called to get political as well. Then last week, what we uncovered in Jesus' response to the trick question, is that what it looks like to give to God what belongs to God, is that Jesus has to come first in everything. Our faith, our loyalty, our life belongs to Jesus. and, And that includes our political affiliations and how we vote. It should be shaped by our basis in our faith. Now that we understand that we are all being called to get political and that Jesus has to come first, today what we need to get into, which to me seems to be the biggest problem that we're facing as a country, is how as Christians, love has to come first when we deal with those people whom we disagree with politically. You guys feel that? It was just like excitement. Everybody's so excited to talk about loving their enemies. I'm always amazed when I mention this. Now, what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about loving our political enemies, which is everybody's favorite topic. So, you guys ready? You're not ready, but let's do it, right? If I speak in the tongue of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I speak in the tongue of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And what Paul is getting at here as it pertains to our current situation is that it really doesn't matter if we have the ability to communicate well, either logically or theologically, or even have the ability to speak on behalf of God using other languages. If love is not the foundation of those gifts of persuasion and communication, then what that amounts to is nothing more than a bunch of noise. Or practically speaking, it really doesn't matter if you have the gift of persuading and communicating well with others on, be- on behalf of God when it comes to the things that are political. If this is not something that you do in love, then all you're really doing is-, is just making a bunch of empty noise, which is also something you keyboard ninjas need to keep in mind the next time you go to make a post. Yeah? No? Nobody? No? Yeah? No? Okay. Next, and to get at what Paul is saying as he continues on in verse 2, we need to break verse 2 down into its different clauses for clarity's sake, because Paul's saying three very important things that we need to get here. First clause says this, if I have prophetic powers, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I have prophetic powers, but do not have love, I am nothing. And what Paul is referring to here is not just someone who sits around like Nostradamus telling the future. That's not what the prophetic means. No, What he is referring to is someone who has been inspired by God to speak out or to take action against an injustice or an evil. Or to understand a prophet in a more modern way, think of Martin Luther King Jr. and the way he fought against the evil of segregation and racism. Or think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, you need to go look him up. He was a German theologian who stood against the evils of Nazi Germany when most of the churches just fell right in line. So that's what Paul means when he talks about the prophetic. And so what that means is that the work of a prophet is something that is absolutely necessary for God's work of saving and restoring this broken and sinful world. Or God relies on his prophets to communicate his will to the world. So this is absolutely necessary. But even though that's the case, or even though prophecy is a necessary part of what God is doing in this world, even prophecy done without love, Makes you nothing. Or in a sense means nothing. And if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge but do not have love, I am nothing. If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge but do not have love, I am nothing. And this one really blows me away. Really blows me away because what Paul is getting at here is it doesn't matter if you're the only person in the United States of America who knows what's best for everyone or who knows what needs to happen next so that this country can go on and do what God longs for it to do. If you do not have love, if you do not work from a place of love, it means nothing. Or in other words, it doesn't matter how smart you may be or how much education you have or how many books you read. If there is no love, it means absolutely nothing. And for this, this hurts me because I read and I've got a whole lot of education. But if I don't have love, it it means nothing. And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Or, Or even if you have the kind of faith that gives you the ability like Jesus to do the impossible, healing the sick, raising the dead, moving mountains, yet you do not have love, even that kind of faith without love means nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain gain nothing. Or it doesn't even matter if you're the most generous, devoted Christian who has ever lived. If you do not have love, then even your generosity and your sacrifice means nothing. What Paul is saying here is absolutely radical. Absolutely turns things upside down. And all because what he's trying to get us to see here is that for Christians, it really doesn't matter how spiritual or smart we may be or what kind of faith we have or even what we can accomplish in God's name. If we don't have love, then we have seriously missed the point of what it means to follow Jesus. Again, for Christians, it really doesn't matter how spiritual or faithful or how committed we may be. Without love, it means absolutely nothing. And all because what comes first or what has to be our foundation or where we have to begin as Christians is with love. And love is not a a warmy, fuzzy, touchy, feely thing. No, Paul goes on to explain this is what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Because love, love never ends. Or that, my friends, more than anything else is what it looks like to live as a Christian. So now that you can clearly see that for Christians, love's come first in everything. To, to make this teaching a bit more practical, given our current situation, what I want you to do is I want you to honestly think back through the last couple of months just to see if love had anything to do with the way you treated or thought or talked about your political enemies. Because if you're like me in any way, what you're going to find, if you get really honest with yourself, is that most of the time when it comes to those stupid morons who disagree with me, <laughs> there really is no love. In fact, what I've found is that when it comes to my political enemies, I do the exact opposite of loving them. And that I really don't have any patience for those kind of people. So in turn, treat them unkindly. At least I do behind their backs which actually comes from a place of boastful arrogance because I think I've got it all figured out and so they should just listen to me. And then when they don't listen to me, it not only irritates me, but it causes me to resent them and even despise those dreadful people who dare to see the world differently than I do. And then if that's not enough, it's even the case that when something bad happens to one of my political enemies, I don't just rejoice because the truth came out. No, I rejoice because something bad happened to them and they're suffering. Which in turn really has nothing to do with bearing, believing, hoping, or enduring anything at all. Because the truth is, love was never a part of my relationship with my political enemies. And I'll give you a moment to look down in disgust at your pastor. But now that I've been honest with all of you. How many of you, if you get real with yourself are guilty of the exact same thing. Or to really bring this into perspective, to just keep pushing, keep grinding a little bit. What I want you to do is I want you to bring to mind your most hated political enemy, whether that be Trump or Biden or Obama or your crazy uncle or whatever it is. And as I'm reading through Paul's definition on love, what I want you to see is if love has anything to do with the way you talk or act or think about that person. Maybe even that party. Maybe it's a party for you. Paul says this. Love is patient. Any patience going on there? Love is kind. Any kindness going on there? Love is not envious, boastful, arrogant, or rude. Ooh, that rude one hurts a little bit, right? It does not insist on its own way. I'm gonna gonna repeat that one. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. Or according to this, you know, Christian standard on love, which is supposed to be our foundation. Because without it, our faith really doesn't mean anything. How many of you can actually say that you've done a good job loving your political enemies? John? <laughs> Thank you, John. I'm glad we got one. I'm glad we have got one. Well, now that we understand that our foundation has to be love, and now that we've gotten honest with ourselves about we're not very good at loving our political enemies, I think what has to come next, given this sin, which is where you always have to go if you've got a particular sin in your life, is we have to go to repentance. That's right. The next logical step that you and I should take, given we have a problem with loving our political enemies, is to repent. And what I mean by repentance in this thing is not just about you and I in this moment saying we're sorry so we can feel forgiven and then going out and doing it tomorrow. That's not what I'm getting at because we're all really good at that. No, what I'm talking about is that we actually take some time and to confess our sins to God because we have gotten this horribly wrong. And then with God's help, actually change the way we think and talk and treat our political enemies. Or actually devote ourselves, no matter how hard it may be, to loving them. To doing what Paul is teaching us to do. Which we do. Which we do. Not because they haven't done anything wrong. They have done something wrong. And even because they, we necessarily believe that they deserve it. No, we do it. Because in the same way God poured out his grace, mercy, and love upon us when we were his enemies. When we didn't deserve it. God's calling us to do the exact same thing for them, to pay it forward. And all because not only is this what it looks like to live Christian day in and day out, but I'm pretty sure this is what it's going to take to heal this this divided nation that we're a part of. And ultimately, it's what it means to save the world. Or this is just another way that we go about voting for Jesus as president. So how many of you are excited to go out and start this? Tuesday night, Tuesday night, I want this voice, my voice to be ringing in your heads. Love your political enemy because if you don't, then you're missing out on what it means to truly live as a Christian. We are a people who always start in love. In fact, we are the people who are called to love those that no one else can love. Because we can do it because we've been loved by a God unconditionally. Let us pray. Father, again, we come before you this morning. Um, Truth is, we are a people who have gotten really good at, at... Hating and despising and looking down on our political enemies. A a people who, because we think we've got it all figured out, because we're the right ones, that that are really good at looking down our noses and, and just thinking the worst things about our enemies. But help us to see today, Lord, that that's not what you're calling us to do. Instead, what you're calling us to do is not be like everyone else. That's what everybody else does. No, we're to be different because you are different. So in the same way that you loved us when we were your enemies and we didn't deserve it, help us to love those who don't deserve it as well. And also, they can experience your love and your grace and your life through us. We ask this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You are invited back next week for another life-changing message from the First Christian Church of Great Bend, Kansas. Please check out our website at www.fccgbk.com. That's fccgbk.com. May you have a blessed week.